Hey, this is Warren from Taming Sorry, and you're listening to On The Fly with Stevie and Jason. You are listening to On The Fly. What's up, guys? On the fly is back again, and tonight we have a very, very special guest. You guys know I'm a diehard Kiss fan, and with us tonight, I thought it would be interesting to to talk to this guy. He designed and did the whole thing, drew and everything of one of the uh, iconic Kiss albums. And I'm going to hold it up right here, my original copy, Kiss Unmasked. You guys remember when you got Kiss Unmasked? I remember it was, uh, I think I got it for Easter that year it came out. And I remember seeing that cover and I was like, this is totally different than anything Kiss has ever done. I mean, it's a co- it's it's like a comic book cover. But I mean, Matt, what a great cover. With me tonight is the guy that did that cover, Mr. Victor Staben. How you doing, Mr. Staben? Thank you, Steve. I'm doing fine. I'm uh pretty happy that you called and we're doing this yeah great to have you here i've been uh we had talked i i think i had talked to to uh, your publicist a while back a couple years ago and then i was doing that then of course covid came along and uh i got sidetracked with it but uh glad glad you're on tonight appreciate you coming on taking time out of your busy schedule no problem yeah so you grew up in new york brooklyn new york right um, uh, my family came to Brooklyn, New York in 1910 uh-huh. and my grandmother died there, uh, in her eighties. She, uh, was the last person to be part of Brooklyn, but I moved from Brooklyn to Queens, New York when I was about okay. nine years old. And then I became Manhattan centric in that I went to a high school in Manhattan called art and design. Right. I lived in Manhattan for a number of years, and now I'm, I'm living in Pennsylvania. Okay. It's not bad. Pennsylvania, of course. Uh, we, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air tonight. I'm a diehard Steelers fan. I said, uh, if I ever get up to go go see the Steelers play, I will definitely head by uh, the museum and check that out and check out the cafe up there as well. Um, growing up, I, I mean – I know some people, I can't imagine life without music. Growing up, were you a music fan? A big music fan. At the age of uh, 13, I started migrating into Manhattan, going to a place called the Art Students League. Mm -hmm. They gave courses all year round, but I took summer courses. And uh, it was right next to Central Park. So they had a music series there hosted by Schaefer Beer. I don't know if you ever heard of Schaefer Beer. I have heard of but, Schaefer Beer. Uh, my first concert was the Mother, Mothers of Invention. Second concert was Jeff Beck with Rod Stewart. Wow. Third concert was The Who. Fourth concert was Led Zeppelin. Did I grow up with listening to music? It was insane, and I didn't know how cool it was at the time. At the age of 14, I snuck into a Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin concert, and I got front row seats. So you can't beat what I saw. No, no, yeah. That, that, that period of time, you that was that's an iconic yeah. lineup and there. Well, before I'm 15 years old. 
Oh, wow. I can't imagine. Now, I don't know if you, and I would ask this, were you ever a Kiss fan? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. I'll tell you from, from five. But they, well, they had hit songs that everybody knew, right? Right. And so there's like, I, I really love The Who. I never bought a Who album. All I had to do was turn the radio on. Yeah. And Kiss was kind of like that at different parts of their career. Yeah. Uh, I just remember, and my my older cousin had the Destroyer album, which is uh, iconic cover as well. Um, at five years old, showing me that cover, and I was just like looking at that like these guys are larger than life. And then listening to it, you know, I was five. I'm 49 now. So, yeah, 45, almost 45 years later, I'm still a huge Kiss fan. But, uh, yeah, gosh, I can't imagine going to all those concerts like you just – that lineup that you just – I can't imagine it either. I, I feel bad for my kids because when I went to these concerts, they were $2.75. Oh, God. <laughs> my daughter, she is 19. She's getting ready. Yeah. Uh, she turns 19 on Wednesday. And she's like a retro. She listens to a lot of the the eighties and seventies stuff. I mean, she she was listening to Pink Floyd, uh, some of that stuff. And we were talking about concert ticket prices now. And I don't know if you've checked into that and looked at those prices here later. It's just disturbing. Oh my gosh! It's really kind of like your whole paycheck, right? Yeah, I told her my days of going to big arena acts like that. Or probably over. I'd rather go to a a small venue or a club and watch a watch bands there. When I pay all that money. When I started going, they didn't have arena concerts. Yeah, maybe the Beatles had an arena concert in 1964. But by the time that I was going to see stuff like in '68 or whatever, like that phenomenon just wasn't common. Right. right. Anyway, it's a good old days. So, yeah, uh, good old days. You won't good luck to anybody going to see music. You sort of have to be clever, and you got to deal with a lot. Take out a loan too. Yeah. Uh, so, what age and what got you into art? Well, we started this by uh, you telling me to go to Streamyard, and I went to yeah. Yardstream, right? And I'm yeah. a little dyslexic, and so. The one thing that I really excelled at was drawing. And so my academics were sort of like secondary to me and drawing was it. And you just kind of follow this path that you're on that you're most comfortable in. And I followed it seamlessly. This is what I do. And I knew it from kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. So you knew you knew you had that talent that early on. I knew that this is what I could do, and I, I enjoyed it, right? It was like a certain exploration that happens when you're learning how to do something well, right? And a certain dedication that is a little rote in that you have to do it over and over and over again. But if you can always, you can always see yourself getting a little better at it. And so you get a certain kind of applause from it, and that keeps you, keeps you going. Yeah. yeah. Here we are. Yeah. And you end up going to, uh, like you said, the High School of Art Design, the Art Center of College, College of Design, the School of Visual Arts. So, I mean, what part, what part of your life did you realize? What you know, I could do this for a living. Well, 
the end of high school, I had to make a decision. Was I going to art college? And it wasn't a really big decision to make. And so I knew at the age of 17 or maybe 18 that this is what I was doing. It's just like uh, I didn't really have any other choices. I couldn't see myself searching for some academic college that was going to be that impressive that I would become a part of their system so I could do something that oppressed my art like future, right? right. It just wasn't going to happen. So people go to art school. I went to art school. Well, I mean, as much as you enjoy it, I mean, you did it from an early age. Does this ever feel like a job to you? I worked as an illustrator for 25 years, and I started to sleepwalk through it. Like when I did the Kiss album cover, I was 26 years old, right? I'm 69 now. It was 43 years ago. I hear about it every day of my life. It's so <laughs> freaky. And after about uh, 15 years of being an illustrator and getting pretty terrific jobs on like this, a lot of jobs, but a smattering of really terrific jobs, I lost interest in it as far as like spiritually being spiritually embracing it. I always liked doing jobs for people where I could create something that exceeded their expectations. There's like something terrific about being able to do a job and do a job well. Right. And I don't even, it doesn't even matter if it's like cleaning your kitchen or shining shoes or doing an illustration. If you really do a job well, you should take pride in it. And I always took a lot of pride in my work. After 25 years of illustrating, I got cancer. And on the other side of being sick, I said, I really want to paint. If I don't make the decision to start painting now, it's never going to happen. So I just abandoned commercial art completely. And as soon as I said, I'm never going to do another illustration again, the post office called me up and asked me to do nine postage stamps. And that's the plum job as a commercial artist saying, I worked for the post office. Because yeah, exactly. Your first stamp goes out to 93 million people. It gets copied 93 million times. And who knows how many times it's used. But, you know, people are licking your eye. You can't beat that. <laughs> can't beat that. So, and that was my last commercial job. Like, I went out on a high note, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, everybody's seeing, definitely a lot of people were seeing your art when you got it on nine stamps. So. But I have to say, even though I did stamps and stamps can make you, people know what a postage stamp is. That's why it kind of makes you an entity. Beyond the fact that postage stamps were more popular before email, uh, right. nothing endures more than doing the Kiss album cover. Yeah, I yeah. can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I, and I'm getting calls right now from big companies that want to get, get involved with my work. And nothing endures more than the Kiss album cover. Yeah. I mean, you get these aggravating. Yeah, I tell you, it's sick. It's aggravating. Yeah. Guys that want to talk to you about it too, right? <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about another thing. I, I, you know, I did a lot of research. And one of the things I found fascinating was not only the fact that you you did your art and stuff, but the Daedal Doodle book. Yeah. 
and, and I did. I read. I've, I've read about it. I listened to some interviews on YouTube. Talk a little bit about how that came about, because you know, it all because of your your daughter, uh, and and not know it. You know, reading through these books and not some of these words that right. in the book. Me, Talk a little bit about how that came about. That's, me, a, that's me, a really good story. Okay, so uh, my daughters are like two, two and a half, whatever it is. And if two daughters about a year and a half apart from each other, I'm reading them a lot of ABC books. And the ABC books are kind of mind-numbing because, first of all, you have a real great built-in audience. They just love being read to. And But A is for Apple, B is for Apple, C is for Apple, D is for Apple. It's mind-numbing. And so I... Went to the. I said to myself, you know, I could do better than this. And I went to the dictionary, and I started looking up words. I started to make a. This is the short story because the long story could be all about this book. Right. Basically, A is for apperceptive achatina. Now, this is a point where you could show a picture of the snail looking at himself, but an achatina is a gigantic African snail. Apperceptive is the mind's ability to perceive itself. So for the opening page of the ABC book I made, we have a snail looking in the mirror. And B is for bifoliated bonito. Bifoliated means having two sets of leaflets. And a bonito is a mackerel. And so what am I getting at here? I'm I'm using all these words that most people don't know. Right. And... I didn't know them. So it becomes mind expanding in that you're building your vocabulary. But one of the reasons why I got into it was at the age of two, I taught my daughter how to say, my daddy is a megalomaniac, right? (laughs) So she's got daddy is megalomaniac, daddy is a megalomaniac. And I realized (laughs) it can say anything. Every new word is like, something that they could grab onto their brains are just so receptive and so by the age of five if my kids didn't know that c was for Chuck chelonia or e was for eo hippus's episode they didn't get to have dinner yeah <laughs> i mean know every page in the book for them to get fed and they knew all these words that adults didn't know and it was just so much fun to do and what happened was the book got picked up by a local museum in Allentown. They gave me a one-man show. There's a museum in New York City called the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They gave me uh, a lecture series where I taught about the making of the book and actually gave a class on how to make drawing, drawings inspired by the dictionary. And one thing after another, I'm finding that Daedal Doodle is just being embraced by embraced by teachers all over the country. I got asked to teach in Uganda, Africa over the weekend. And uh, a gigantic corporation just asked me if I would be part of uh, an art installation in Singapore, New York, and Las Vegas because of Daedal Doodle. Wow. I don't want to drop their name because it happened yet. And I don't want to jinx myself. Exactly. Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't want to be. I don't, know if they, I don't know if they'd appreciate it. So no, I can't say. Yeah. 
but yeah, that was that was really fascinating to me how how much that took off it just just because of of what you did for you for your daughters and and now even more hearing this even more. You I mean, going to Uganda? Yeah, <laughs> go to Uganda. So I read about four thousand pages of dictionaries twice, and it took me about three and a half years of research and sketching. And I had a blast doing it. So that's Daedle Doodle. And, you know, I think that's provocative enough that you can go to my website and check it out. See if, uh, see what, see what this, what's this guy talking about? You know, so it's, it's up there. Yep. Now, another thing that you did that I'm, I was really fascinated with, and one of the best parts of it was the fish Ferris wheel, the turtle series. And explain a little bit too about how that came about, because that had a lot to do with when you were doing having your battle with cancer. That came about. Talk a little bit about that turtle series, how that came about. Well, I just referenced the fact that I was an illustrator for 25 years, and when I got sick, I decided, okay, so what do you want to do? You don't know how much time you have left, and this was 22 years ago already, or 23. I got cancer 25 years ago. I had chemo for two years. It's 2023. It's going on 25 years. And so at this point, I said to myself, start painting because you don't know how long you have. And every day, every day I sit down and I paint, I go, keep painting. You don't know how much time you have left. <laughs> but uh, it's been a while. And I started a series of paintings that... Uh, Iconically, I held together by using a turtle. And the reason why I used a turtle was because I had seen a couple of paintings by very prominent artists that had turtles in them. And I just thought, I'll do a whole series and I'll keep it together by having a turtle in each painting. And the paintings are pretty inventive. They're yeah. not just about the day in the life of the turtle. And so they started to become autobiographical. Uh, they started to become like allegories, like stories that I would tell to uh, explain concepts that maybe don't have that much to do with the turtle. But instead of using like people, I started using animals. And I, um, there's something like, okay, so this thing over here behind me, I just moved my head. It's a uh, six foot by six foot painting. It's going to be in the turtle series. I'll send you a uh, a Photoshop example of it. It's like sewn together right now as a bunch of photographs that I'm turning into a painting on my easel. Uh, and instead of becoming a self-imposed assignment, it became something that I just naturally do. It's my normal. And I don't know how many more of these paintings I'm going to do. But as I just keep on making the series bigger, it just seems to become more important. And it's really kind of interesting. So there's a certain obsession that goes along with success that I think this series is bringing me. And you would think, oh, well, maybe he's got to make a series within like a two-year period. But I've been doing a lot of different things. I have ADD. And so I've been working on the building. I, I took a break and I made... Daedal Doodle. Uh, Daedal Doodle led to character invention and the characters I started to write stories for and then I started to uh, animate a couple of the stories. And so 
I have a number of themes. They're all under one roof in this building, which also became, by accident, it became like headquarters, and it also became an art form. I work on the building just about every day, one way or the other. Right. And I'm hoping to leave it the way uh, Dolly Parton has Dollywood or something, you know? <laughs> I want this to be a cultural center that people can dine in, see music in, and see art in. And so the Turtle series was one of the first things that got installed here. And the reason why the Turtle series has taken so many years or decades now, it's becoming like it's the 23rd year of it, is because it's all under this one roof and a lot of things are going on. And I didn't stop myself from having like another idea. So I'm almost like a chef that's cooking more than one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah. And talk a little bit about this, uh, this building, because I looking at the pictures and looking about you guys pretty much took, took this place, did a, did a ton of work on it. Ton of work. Yeah. And I mean, you're, talking about, you're talking about a beautiful place in here. The museum is there. You've got Vic's jazz loft and then you've got cafe Ariel. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, talk how how much of a of a project? I mean, that that is a a definite commitment there, and that you guys you talk oh. about leaving it like that, but you guys have put some some hours in on this building, definitely. So I came to Jim Thorpe from New York City, and my wife had a house in this little town, but I couldn't paint there because there wasn't enough room. I needed a studio and excuse me i uh i found a 1600 square foot room with a reasonably high ceiling and it was super cheap compared to living in new york and looking for workspace so i moved in and i started to fix this studio space up it's in a building that was built in the 1860s and it was a factory building that made steel cabling for suspension bridges like the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, wow. And it has a lot of strange, it, it's, it has a lot of history. A little of it's strange because there's gaps in time where I don't know how this building was used. But it was used as a uh, factory for making braided steel cable. Uh, it was used as a parachute factory in uh, parachute manufacturing in World War II. They made trains like Lionel trains at one point. It became a sweatshop in the 60s and the 70s and the beginning of the 80s. And it's always been used as a factory. And factories are kind of funny because people just want to like, like use a factory for 10 or 15 years. It's not like they're going to like really appoint everything beautifully. The initial part of the building, the stone walls are 21 inches thick, right? And then the building just kept on getting bigger and bigger. And sections of it are made beautifully, but sections of it are kind of like, uh, what, what were they thinking when they built this? And we really had to rebuild this. And the, so the story is, I was in the studio initially. I had a landlord. He was kind of a jackass. And he wanted to sell the building after about a year and a half of me being there. And I bought it for almost nothing because he couldn't afford it. It was falling apart and 
I'm from New York City. New York City space space is like not available and it's very precious. And I always thought, oh, I'll make more money in the future and I'll buy a piece of real estate. It doesn't work like that. You got to grab onto it when it's there. And if you don't, it's going to be two or three times more expensive in 10 years. And it's always going to be a huge expense. And when this building came up for sale, I said to myself, this is it. This is a defining moment. If you don't buy this, you'll always look back and go, what if I, why didn't I? So all of a sudden I had 16,000 square feet of space. I was only using 1600 of it. And there's an axiom where artists just need old buildings and they need old buildings because they're cheap and they fix them up. So we fixed it up. And, uh, Beautiful. The last thing I can say to you is we're no longer calling Cafe Ariel, Cafe Ariel. Okay. You just get coffee and cake there. We're calling it Restaurant Ariel. Okay. So just in case you're rolling by and you're looking for a meal, we have a great chef and it's a restaurant. What kind, what kind of food do you guys serve there? Uh, you know, the guy is, he went to the Culinary Institute of America. It's called the CIA. And he makes whatever he makes, but like on the menu, right? He made a dish the other day and I don't want to talk about the food too much, but he made a dish the other day where it was just roasted chicken with braised red cabbage on top of fingerling potatoes. It's a very simple dish. And I was eating it and I was thinking, am I on death row? Is this my last meal? Cause this is so good. Like I could die after eating it. And so whatever he makes, whether it's salmon or beef or, or chicken, like or like a vegetable dish. Uh, he's fantastic. We just got a fantastic chef right now. Terrific. So like worth the visit. Jim Thorpe is a town that's worth visiting. All right. right. And we have the, I think, the most interesting place in a very broad region, as far as a very like broad radius, as far as this region goes. Yeah, definitely. Biased, you know, you can't trust me. Yeah. I'm going to try to sell you a dadle little book, sell you a meal, sell you have the best <laughs> I time. I definitely tell you, it is a, the, you know, from what I'm seeing, is a beautiful looking place. It's a nice, uh, it's really like. Yeah, I mean, the jazz jazz looks like it's a, a cozy little setting that you can sit and relax, listen to some good music, uh, you know, and outside of the whole thing, uh, uh, the the upper where, where it's got the, I don't know if it, if it's Abbey or something grow on the top of it. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that. I like that too. That that's pretty cool. That sets it off too. But just a, a a beautiful place, you guys. If you ever go to Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, you got to stop by this place because I. If you want to get out, choose Jim Thorpe as a destination. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's uh. Moving along. Moving right along. Moving right along. Let's talk about what well, you know. What I, what I, the original thing I wanted to talk to you about, how, how does Kiss fit in the picture with Victor Staben? How did this come about? How did Unmask come so about? So I was working as an illustrator and there was a directory that I put a picture in. I was asked to contribute a picture to a, uh, the directory was, like divided up into sections and each section had an illustration on the cover of the section. And I made a picture of uh, 
Prince Valiant descending a staircase. And Prince Valiant was a cartoon that oh, yeah. was from the 40s or 50s. And they asked me to mimic this style of cartooning. And so it was in this book that went out to people in the advertising business all over the country, but mostly in New York. And uh, Kiss called me up because they were represented by an advertising company. They were that smart. They didn't really have like, uh, they, they didn't have a manager as much as they had an advertising agency and a manager, right? right. And so they, the advertising agency called me up and they said, we have a concept for a Kiss album cover. It's going to be a cartoon strip. We like what you did. And we'd like you to illustrate this cartoon strip, but we want to see how you would handle it. And so they gave me the first panel to do where the guys are walking out the backstage door. And I said to them, I'm not going to give you a painting, but I will give you a sketch. And you can imagine the painting style because my painting style is, I had numerous examples of it. So I gave him a sketch knowing that it would be an important sketch and I got the job. Well, one thing, so I hear, one thing I hear a lot, the first panel with uh, Ace Freely's costume up here with the wings and stuff. Yeah. A lot of people say, why he, why didn't he ever do that kind of costume? Like, like that guy drew it because that would have been so cool for him to do one like that. You that know, I don't know where that winged thing came from. I don't remember why I put it in. Uh, Cause he doesn't have a costume like that, right? No, he doesn't. And everybody, you know, every time the cover comes up, that is one of the things that gets talked about because he's up with his hand, with his arms up and it's winged. And everybody's like, that would have been so cool for him to come out like that. Instead of the, he had the cape on this tour. So if he came out with the wings, that would have been so much more cooler to me. And that's just a cool, that was, that was always, even as a kid, that was uh -huh. one of the first things that, that stuck out to me. Because I said, I don't ever remember seeing him like that. Maybe that's something he's going to do, but it, which he never did. But I don't remember being told to do it. I just think that uh, I said, oh, this will look better as wings. <laughs> well, it does. It definitely does. Sketch, I'm showing it to him. You know, it, it, if it looks better in the sketch, but they don't want to use it, at least they can see that I can be expansive with ideas. Right. And so they liked it. We kept it. I painted it. How how interactive were they with the, with this whole project? Well, they came to my place about three times that month. And they looked at my progress. They made a couple of suggestions that were kind of minor. They really seemed to appreciate what we were doing. And I say we, because if you look at the album cover, it really is 13 individual little paintings that get done within one month. Right. And it's hard to do a painting that you know is gonna last forever as far as public scrutiny goes in three days it's like or, or 2.4 days so that i could get 13 paintings done in a month it's just ridiculous i was doing the paintings other people were doing it was on three panels 
three long panels because you can see it's like three panels deep. Right. And as I was working on one thing, other people were doing underpainting and sketching. And the most important part of that album cover for me was the first panel and the poster. And so nobody touched that except for me. I finished painting every part of the album cover, but I totally did the first panel and the poster on my own. And it all fits together pretty seamlessly. But I had a friend, Jose Rivero. He was a student of mine. I taught at visual arts. There was a guy named Mark Samuels. I sat next to him in high school. He's a fantastic cartoon artist. He helped me design it. Uh, I had another, you know, the, the woman's face. She's sitting across the table from... Right, from Paul. Paul. Think or Jean, I forget. She's from Paul. Yes, Paul. Okay, that's a little teeny woman's face. The yeah. hardest thing in the world for me to do is paint teeny faces. There was a girl in a class that I had at Visual Arts. Her name was Shari Schneider. And I asked her to come in and paint the woman's face. And oh, she wow. just did it in a minute. It would have taken me hours of torture. And it was just like, what she did as a little girl, she just drew cute little women's faces. So I had like specialty help all through like the process from the top to the bottom. And I had to orchestrate it. I was sort of like, I was a director and the main talent. As, as far as the storyline goes, you know, with the, you know, the, the words on, on that, did you have, they, gave it you guys, me. they came up with that or did you guys I, come I, up? All them. I didn't do anything there. Because one of the things they always, the people always talk about, they didn't understand at the end, and it was the guy at the end, the reporter at the end, say, "I still say they stink." Well, they have a sense of humor, self-deprecation. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's that's I, that's what I took it as. But a lot of people make it out to more more than it is. That said, you know, the guy because a lot of people were were not. Kiss was on a down. Go, kind of going down after the after unmasked as far as popularity of course we'll talk about the poster that's one of the the things that always comes up with this the poster with peter winking his eye and i know you've talked about this several times what was that all about with peter winking his eye on the poster well they told me he left the group and they said to me that they wanted to uh have a thing that people would talk about right so even though he's he's is he on the album all the way i'm not quite sure i don't he uh there's nothing up here that peter's saying i don't even think he played on this album I, he barely played on the one before it but this one he didn't play at all so i'm not really quite sure of like the history of like discography discography yeah. But uh, they knew he was leaving, and the band did not know that we were painting the Winkin. The art director from the advertising agency said to me, I want you to paint it for the album cover without him winking, or, and, and then on the poster with him winking, right? So they took the art from me, they photographed it, then they brought the art back and I repainted it so that he's winking. And so underneath the painting, the final painting is a painting of him with his eyes open. 
And they didn't tell the band because they didn't want to have the type of uh, nonsense that bands go through. Well, how come Peter's winking and I'm not winking? Right? Exactly. So, well, this, well, it was a surprise to the band. And it was something that gave the fans something to talk about. And if you also look at Peter's, Peter's image on the poster, uh, there's a fishbone in his hair. Because he's a cat. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never noticed that. Yeah, I put that in. Well, this is probably, and a lot of people don't talk about, but the poster, and, and you, I know you guys can't see, but that poster, that's what that's based on. But that right there was an iconic image for me, a kiss image. I mean, you got Destroyer, you got Love Gun, you got Rock and Roll Over, and that, image right there goes right because when you hear as a kid i hear kiss unmasked and before i get the album you didn't have the internet you didn't have all this technology where you hear it you see everything you know everything which it's kind of sad that it's it's like that now but when i hear kiss unmasked i'm thinking oh they're going to take the makeup off and right, then, right right right, and then right, right when you see this and they take the take the uh the mask off and they're still got the makeup on that's pretty that was pretty cool to me the mistake that i made when i was doing the album cover was i was a little too respectful i am working for these people they're my clients i'm not their friends i really wish i took pictures of myself with these guys in my apartment yeah yeah i didn't because they had a low profile as far as how people perceive them without makeup so i didn't want to be rude but i didn't even ask Right. And so I could kick myself because that's not going to happen again. That piece of time is gone. No, they're, they're about ready to finish it. Well, they say they're about ready to finish it up. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, as far as finishing as far up, as I, think, four, I think it's done. What's that? I said, as far as the four that were on this album, I think that, yeah, that's, that's done right there. I think this is a business that goes on past them performing. Yeah, because. And one of the things as a KISS fan that frustrates me is they come out and say all, all they've, they've been saying for years, we video every concert, we video all this, we've got all this footage, but they're not putting anything out there for the public. This, and maybe they're waiting until after they get through, I don't know, but you got, I mean, KISS maniacs out there like me that are diehard KISS fans that would love to see some of this stuff and, and they're just not putting it out. So maybe I'm, I've got my fingers crossed that that'll happen after they finish this end of the road tour. Not a clue. I have no, I can't help you. Did you ever have any interaction with them after this happened? After the, uh, not after really, the, not really. And I'm pretty sure they were pretty satisfied with the cover. Uh, there were no complaints. <sighs> you know, I, well, I, I, I don't know like what they did or didn't do with the artwork past like the immediate usage of it. But there was a, uh, I think it was on a national geographic channel. They had a history. Uh, it was on 80. It was like a two part series that yeah was Gene and Paul talking about the history of the band. Yeah. That was A&E. And they showed the album cover and they they focused in on the poster and again 
I'm prejudiced, but that poster on video looks so good because the colors are so primary. Yeah. They're like Crayola colors. It's sort of like yellow, red, green. It's coming at you and it's not making up. It's not with, with no excuses. It's like, I want to be as vivid as possible. And I don't know how often they've used it, but digitized or maybe on an LED screen, it looks fabulous. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's an album that gets a lot of uh, it gets a lot of criticism for them going pop, and you know, but they were adapting to the times. I love the album; I always have as a kid. I get, but as far as the covers go, I mean, you got as far as being colorful. Rock and Roll Over and this album are probably the two most colorful Kiss albums out there. And it really stands out because, like I said, my brother is a big Kiss fan like me. And I said, I'm interviewing the guy that did the Kiss Unmasked did album. Did you ever interview anybody else who did covers? I have not. I would, I would have loved to got Mr. Kelly before he passed, you know, he, that did the Destroyer album. But he passed a couple years ago. Uh, but I have not, I've not got anybody. You're the first. So Michael Durrett's still alive. Okay. Which and one did he see? Because I'm not familiar with he which did one. the rock and roll over. Is that oh, the I would love to get him. Right? Yeah, that's the round one. Yeah. That yeah. One, these three albums right here with Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Unmask are probably the best three album covers out there. Kid, at, well, any kids well, album. Michael Durrett, tell him Victor Staben told him to give you an interview. See what happens. Get I, will, I will definitely do that. Now, let's. Before we go, we got to talk about giving you your plugs. And anybody that wants to check out uh, Mr. Staben's stuff, go to victorstaben.com. Is there anything else that, that they can find out about you? All right. If you want to, if, if, if you want to look at what I've done with Kiss and have available, I have a series, a limited edition series of 100 prints of the album cover. Bigger than the album cover. I think yeah, it's I'm looking at it right now. 24 by 24. I think that's the size. You got 140 by 40 and 122 by 22. Okay. So the 40 by 40 ones are gigantic. That's that's a big size. Um, yeah. I only made 10 of those. I have a few left. Uh, I have the poster as well. And they're on the album. They're on my website. I don't really know what the prices are. I haven't been, I forgot. And so the other thing is, if you go to victorstatement.com, you can see the, the work we were talking about, the turtle right. and the dadle doodle work. And you can also, for free, until I figure out how to monetize it, you can see two <laughs> animations that I made. Okay. There yeah, I have not looked at the animation yet. I clicked on over there, but I have not watched it yet. No, uh, you, you've got to watch it and call me back. Okay. Okay. I will definitely do that. But yet, Mr. Staben, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know I've been, it's been kind of aggravating. We've had some internet problems tonight, but uh, on my end. So I know it's been kind of aggravating, but thank you so much for your patience and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us tonight. It was, it was fun, Steve. Thanks for calling me. All right, guys. That is Mr. Victor Staben on the fly. <laughs>